Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. We're in the book of Colossians. We're working our way through it this summer, and we're going to wrap up chapter one today. And there's a lot of things we could talk about in chapter one, but where we're going we're gonna to pour our energy is into this idea of of maturity, maturity. So I was uh, reading this past week a book with a controversial title by Jonathan Haidt, uh, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind. It is, a, it is a, I don't know if it's a controversial book, it's certainly a controversial title, but he does an interesting thing in it. He, he kind of explores, he popularizes the term you've maybe heard, uh, a failure to launch, right? And it's just, it's a book that sort of explores statistics. He's a professor at NYU, kind of the, the struggles of growing up and maturity and what's happened over the past decade and education and how our lexicon has come to include words like microaggression and triggers and cancel culture and other things around that. And he talks about the myths that we've sort of, we've sort of been teaching ourselves. Uh, you know, the, the myth of emotional reasoning, whatever you feel is the most important thing. And what else does he talk? He talks, some, he talks a little bit about, uh, oh, I got to check my notes here because I didn't memorize the book. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the, the myth of fragility, that what, what doesn't kill you makes you worse. And so I'm reading through this, and I, of course, I share this with my uh, my daughter, my millennial daughter, Brittany, and I get the, the eye roll. Oh, here we go again, Dad. I'm like, yes, that's exactly why I shared it with you. I knew I'd get that, right? Because every generation loves to engage in these conversations about growth and maturity and what the last generation did and what the next generation did. It happens in every generation. In fact, uh, I was reading a book that my, uh, my friend Bruce Garner uh, wrote and it's called the resilient pastor and he did it for his uh, doctoral research and I was one of the reviewers for it and it I he said something I had never heard before and that was you've heard of the greatest generation the generation that went off and you know won the war and set the world's right do you know that before the war do you know what the they had started calling their parents had started calling them the lost generation in fact, there was a popular book about the lost generation that would ultimately go on to save the world from the evils of Hitler and everything else like that. So anyway, you're like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, it does, because we're talking about this idea of how we grow and how we mature. And I think that's what Paul is getting at in this next passage. He sees in the Colossians, a, if I could use the word of the day, a failure to launch. They had the opportunity. It was right there in front of them, but, but they were being hindered. The, the, their, their growth, their maturity, they, they were stuck in place. And now as he wraps up Chapter one, as he comes, he kind of bears in on this idea and he wants to jumpstart their growth. And, and it's interesting how, how he starts with this. So we're picking up in chapter one and verse 24. And he, he says this, he says, I'm 
glad when I suffer. <laughs> oh, that is not, that's not what, nobody says that. Like, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body. For I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. He goes on to say, God has given me this responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. And so he's, he's setting this up. He's, he's talking about like, listen, I'm, I'm suffering, but my suffering is for a cause I'm enduring. Remember, he's, he's writing from prison to a baby church full of Christians who's, who's whose faith has been stunted by a combination of Jewish legalism and pagan mysticism. He says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. Then he's, it's like he's going to say, let me tell you a secret. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past. But now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. In other words, this is for everyone. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. And this gives you assurance of sharing his glory. This is famously, in some translations, translated the hope of his glory. Here's, here's a secret. Here's a, here's a tidbit. Here's where we're going to end up. And if you pursue this maturity, you, you get this, this, this assurance of sharing in his glory, this secret that Christ lives in you. And then he gets to it. Maturity. Verse 28, he says, so we tell others about Christ. He said, this is what we do to get this done, to make this real in your life, to help this uh, become a truth in you. We tell others, you, about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God. Perfect and their relationship to Christ. That's what we want to do. We want to present you. We want, to, we want to raise you up. We want to prepare you. We want to grow you so that we can present you to Christ as a leader. Perfect. Now, now this perfect here doesn't mean like perfect in the sense of without blemish. And, 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 and in fact, some modern translations, I think it's the NIV that translates it fully mature. And that gets at the idea. But the, the perfect here means that you're perfectly engaged in the purpose. That, that's kind of the sense of the, we can, that you would be fully engaged in what Christ has called you to be. It's sort of like if I came to you and said, hey, we're having a cookout. I'll bring the burgers you bring the buns. And you say, got it. I'll bring the buns and I'll bring bacon. And I say, perfect, right? You're fully engaged. You're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I get my role. I am, I am on board. I get it. And when you say that, I'm like, oh, he gets it. And that's what, that's what Paul's getting at here. He says, fully 
mature, like fully developed, perfect, engaged in what God has called you. He said, that's what I'm trying to do. And what, what Paul is saying here is that something has happened in your life and you're, you're, you, you've, been, you've been stunted. You, you've, been, you've been sidetracked and you're not moving towards, towards maturity. And, and down through the ages, we've seen that. And Christians, we get, we get sidetracked. We, 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 we miss the calling. And I, I thought it might just be practically helpful to, to talk about, just for a moment, like the three most common signs of immaturity that, that we see. And, and you'll see it in your own life. And, and we'll see it together. Here, here's the first is that uh, we, we, we fall for false doctrine. When you're, when, you're, uh, when you're first following after Jesus, right, you're just like, where do I turn? What do I do? What is, I don't know what this means, right? And we're, we're kind of at this place where we're very vulnerable. And somebody walks in at that moment and kind of says, oh, and they lead you off in a wrong direction. It's easy to fall for false doctrine. But, but honestly, in our, in our world today, false doctrine finds itself everywhere, right? The most, the, the term we, we use for this is syncretism, right? Where, where we take, we, 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 try and, we try and sync up our, our faith with everything around us. And we, so, so we, we end up taking uh, a, little bit of, a little bit of Jesus and then we bring in a, a, a little bit of new age energy talk and then we drop in a little bit of self-help. God helps those who help themselves and we, we fashion a, a belief system that really is full of holes because it's full of false Doctrine and, and 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 here's what when, whenever I hear something like that, the easy question, the easy question to ask ourselves and to ask others is where where is that coming from? Like where is that coming from? Like like is this is is this rooted in, in scripture because because our beliefs are are meant to be rooted in the word of God, founded in scripture, and it's what keeps us from falling from for, for false doctrine. Here's a second one, and that is that we, uh, we give in to, here's a word, fleshly desires. That's an old word. I was going to toss it out because it sounded kind of old school fundy, but I like the word. I don't know. It's kind of fleshly. Fleshly. Do you, have you, used, you haven't used fleshly in the last week, have you? Neither have I. It's just like an odd word. But it, but it gets to it, doesn't it? Sort of like flesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah I sort of know what he's... Fleshly. Like fleshly. we fall for fleshly desires. Now, now here's what happens. <clears throat> you likely have a Mount Rushmore of fleshly desires you avoid at all costs. They're like, nope, not me, not me. Don't, don't. I've got, I, you know, like, I, I've got my list. Like, I'm, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't murder anybody. I haven't murdered anybody. I'm clean of that. I can say it's on my Mount Rushmore. Don't kill, All right? And uh, faithful to my wife. It's on my Mount Rushmore. It's like, it's like right there, right? And you know, I've got a few others. You know, honest. Like, I'm not gonna lie. And like, those are like my Mount Rushmore. I bet you have Mount Rushmore too. Like things that you're like, nope. Not going to do it. And here's the thing about the Mount Rushmore is it makes us feel good about ourselves because we've got this internal order of things we would never do. But most of us have a mini more. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? We've got Mount Rushmore, mini more. 
And many more is the stuff we struggle with. And maybe we justify, we laugh off. We just, it's, it's me, right? You've got a many more list, and the many more is, the many more doesn't, it doesn't seem, but it, it doesn't seem to us to count as much, but maturity is, maturity is the process of, of counting the many more, like, like wrestling with the many more. I had this happen this last week. I, I had, uh, about a week ago, uh, somebody asked me a question, a friend, uh, we, were, we were having a conversation, they asked me something, and I, it was, it was kind of a, it was a, it was a tense topic. Not, not between us, but, and uh, I just, I responded. And I responded well. I, I like, I said the right thing, sort of. Sort of. Many more. I, I, got, the, I got the Mount Mushmore right, but the many more piece. And I was like, ah. I forgot it. And then, true story, I woke up last, uh, I woke up, it was, like, it was like a week ago, like at four o'clock in the morning. I don't know, it's just, I just, I woke up and couldn't sleep. And I was, and it was like that exact thing came to me. And here's how it came to me. It came to me in a line from a message I preached in January. Man, I hate that. I'll tell you what the line was. The line was, come to the party. You may remember the series we talked about, the older brother and the father saying, come to the party. And I was like, there. I was like, and it was just that line. I was like, oh, Ben. I felt so convicted. I was like, ah, you like totally blew that. Blew it. I didn't write that. I'm like, I got to make that right. right. So, fleshly desires. And then I think the, the, the last kind of sign of immaturity is when we choose convenience over calling. And, and what I mean by that is that we, we end up, uh, uh, we end up, uh, our lives are not determined, our habits our investment of finances, our scheduling of our time, our commitments are not determined by our calling in Christ. They're determined by what's most convenient in the moment because something happens on the pathway to maturity wherein I decide this calling is the most important thing of all. I am this, and because I am this, I do this. So, back to our text. Paul doesn't want to complicate this. And he doesn't. He doesn't make it impossible. He doesn't make it needlessly complex. He just wants to bear in for the moment on what it looks like to be mature in Christ. Let me go back to verse 28. He said, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given 
us. And then, if I could break it down into two pieces, he, he offers us what I think is a bit of a pathway uh, to maturity. Here's what he says next in verse 28. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship with Christ. Perfect, that's that fully mature in their relationship with Christ. What is maturity? What is spiritual maturity? And by the way, maturity and spiritual maturity are not far distant. What is maturity? What is the path to it? Well, I think it starts right here with this. A simple statement. Jesus is real. Find him. That's the story. Perfect in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Dallas Willard offered a definition of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is when a believer effortlessly does what Jesus would do in whatever situation they're in. Maturity is when you or I effortlessly do what Jesus would do. And that's what Paul is driving at here. Perfect. But did you notice what he said? In their relationship with Christ. So here's what we want. We want want Paul to give us a list. Give me a list. To do. Rules. (laughs) Like, could you, could you, could you clarify? Could you, because if you could give me a list and tell me to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And, 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 and for sure, Paul in other places talks about what it looks like to follow after Jesus. But here, when he wants to sum it all up, he, he describes maturity as a relationship with Christ. This is where you will find it, in a relationship with Jesus. Now, the natural inclination is to take the relationship and turn it into a list of rules, but don't do that, right? You understand what this looks like. Tammy and I have been in a marriage relationship for 30, almost 31 years. We're in a relationship. We, we said some vows, we made some promises, and we entered into life together. And the reality is, after 30 plus years, we've rubbed off on each other. Like, it's just there. It's like, you know, we've spent more time together than we've spent apart, and it's rubbed off. Now, listen, that relationship doesn't mean we don't have rules. Oh, we have rules, right? But they're not like, they're not on the refrigerator, thou shalt come home at night. I just sort of know it. Like, that's, that's what it looks like. We're in a relationship. In fact, we do an interesting thing for couples um, who uh, we're marrying at Cape Cod Church. We have a premarital uh, assessment and conversations, and it's really, really valuable. Tammy and I did it ourselves years ago. 
And it, uh, both individuals sit down separately and they answer questions. It takes about an hour or so. And then uh, the program kind of puts it all together and produces a report and gives them some talking points. And one of the things it does, it's really interesting, is there's like this one page about expectations. And so it just asks them, it says, what in your marriage, who is going to do this? And it's like everything. Who's going to take out the trash? Who's going to watch the kids? Who's going to bring in the income? Who's going to gas up, gas up the car? I never knew that was a thing, but gas up the car is on the list. And then it, and, and they don't know what the other person thinks. And then it comes together and it shows where they agreed and where they disagreed. I'm going to tell you a secret. I've been doing these for years. I have never, never had a couple agree on everything. We always get to that page and there's always half a dozen, 10 things that they're like, oh, you thought I was going to do that? No, no. I thought you were going to do that. Right? The other thing it does is, in the column right next to it, it says, in your home growing up, who did this? Ah. (laughs) That's very telling. And it's very helpful. And this isn't meant to, like, we don't sit there and say, okay, let's, let's fight this out, right? These are just like, this is a conversation. And in fact, I'm not even, like, concerned if they don't agree with anything on these things, right? Because here's what's going to happen. In a relationship, you're going to work through those things. Because here's the truth. Rules are meant to rein us in. But relationship rubs off on us. And when it rubs off long enough it begins to remake us. And that is what Paul is talking about here. In a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will become like him. I'm not going to give you just a list of rules. It's not because there aren't rules. It's because that would be a cheap way of changing you. What Christ is giving you is a relationship. And a relationship with Jesus will rub off on you over time. And over time, it will remake you. He finishes in verse 29, and we wrap up the chapter. chapter. He said, that's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. That's why I work and struggle so hard. Paul starts this section and finishes this section by talking about fighting and struggling and suffering. And I guess I just wanted to finish there too and say that one of the real ways we grow to maturity is we fight for it. I mean, get ready for a fight. That's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, I'm writing the book and it's a struggle. It's a fight. Get ready for it. It's not like, like we might think like Paul is like, ah, toughen up, ah, you know, be tough. But I think he's just, he's, he's addressing a reality like, like, listen, this, this life is hard. I've been reading a, a book by Richard Rohr called Adam's Return. And uh, Rohr famously wrote this some years ago. And 
he talked about these five rules, and I had seen it referenced in a couple of places, and I sort of wanted to read it for myself. And, and it's a, uh, Roar's a priest, and he, he writes about these five rules for how we mature. It's really, it's a book specifically about how we grow into manhood, but, but I think the, the five rules apply. And so I start reading it, and I get to the very first rule. Here it is. Life is hard. And I'm like, eh. I'm like, yeah, I've heard this before. Really? Couldn't you come up with something better? You know, like, I mean, I, I kind of feel like your opening line should be, you know, like, you have purpose. <laughs> you have a beautiful life in front of you. Get ready for it, right? That sells books. Instead, he opens up with life is hard. Life is hard. But it resonates, doesn't it? Because if you're here today and you're not a, a believer yet in Jesus Christ, or you're just trying to decide, this is not a spiritual truth. Life is hard, and you know it's true. You've experienced it. Maybe you're right in the middle of experiencing it right now. Life is, is hard. As that famous theologian John Wayne said, it's harder if you're stupid. I've always liked that, <laughs> but I actually don't think that's the truest version of it. Life is hard, but it's harder if you're alone. You know what I mean? You ever walk through a valley and realize, I got no one? No one who understands. Maybe no one who cares. I haven't cultivated a relationship that I could be confident in. Life is hard when we're alone. And this, this is part of what Paul is driving at. You are not alone in this journey in this fight, in this struggle. Christ is with you. In fact, back in verse 27, he said it so beautifully. This is the secret. And this secret is the hope that we have that Christ is in you. And who wouldn't want that? It's the path to maturity. He's with us. Would you bow your heads with me? Let me take a moment while our heads are bowed and we just have that, that brief opportunity to sort of reflect. And maybe in the privacy of the moment to listen for what God's Spirit might be saying to you. Maybe you feel a prompting from the Spirit, God's conviction, like I talked about a few moments ago, about a step into maturity. Maybe it's ordering your life around a calling. 
maybe there's a Mount Rushmore or a Mini More you're ready to set aside. Maybe it's committing yourself to uncovering more closely who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. I want to give you these moments just to to lean into that, to pray. And maybe, maybe you're here and you've not yet said yes to Jesus Christ. Here's what Revelation says. The very last book of the Bible has a passage where God says, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If anyone will open the door and invite me in, I will come in. And maybe today is your day to open the door and to say yes to Jesus Christ. There's not a list of rules that he's telling you you have to keep first. He's inviting you into a relationship, and I promise you that relationship will rub off, but he won't force it on you. But if that's you, I want to invite you to pray. A brief prayer with me, a prayer of faith, but remember, it's not the words that I'm saying and you're praying. It's the prayer of faith from your heart. It's not simply a repetition of words, but when you pray by faith from your heart, saying yes to him, he hears it. So maybe you'd pray something like this. Dear God, you know me and everything about me. And so I confess it. I ask for the grace of your forgiveness. Jesus Christ, I invite you into my life. I trust you as my Savior and you alone. I want to live my life fully for you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you.